The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them and said, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose those who come against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. Good morning. How are you? Good? I'm just a little bit shy, and that's okay. As usual, I've got a question for you today, okay? Now, if you look at my nose, this is my trick. If you look at my nose right here, it'll be pretty good. So can you look at my nose? There you go. Have you ever seen someone plowing in a field? Have you ever seen someone plowing in a field? If so, I want you to touch your ear. Yeah? So a few of us. What happens when somebody plows in a field? What do they do? What's all there? Is there a big tractor? Yeah. And behind that tractor is probably a plow. Yeah, so far so good. And then what does the plow do? Makes the dirt soft, that's right. Over time, the ground could get compacted a little bit, kind of hard. You've walked on hard dirt before, right? It's almost like walking on a road, isn't it? Hard dirt. And then the plow goes through it and it breaks it up make some space between those things. Now the plow goes through so that there's enough space for something new to happen. If we just left the ground packed down tight, then only what's there would only ever be there. It'd be hard for it to change over time. You might get some new weeds. You might even get a new tree growing up, but you wouldn't get anything that you planted. 
There's lots of different ways to plant things, but you always have to make space. Some people plant with very little rows for new space. And some people turn every single part of the earth over with a plow so that new is there already. But whatever you do, whenever you're going to grow something good, you need to make space. In today's story, Jesus is telling people about making space. He tells them about the cost of making sure they follow Jesus, of doing what Jesus asks of them, and it's this really big cost. But they want to grow something good, so they have to make space. Have you ever tried to grow something good without pulling the weeds out? Does it go very well? No. Have you ever tried to grow something good without making the soil soft? It doesn't go very good. You have to work if you want to grow something good. And that's the same here too. If you want to grow something good, you're going to have to make space. So in our lives, we can practice this, can't we? We can practice making space beside us. And we talked about this last week, whenever we're at the lunch table. Yeah. And we can practice making space in our hearts for new friends and people we haven't met yet. We can practice making space inside our gatherings, making sure we invite other people and new people. We can make space in all kinds of ways. So this week, I want you to do two things. One, I want you to see who makes space for you. Maybe they're making space on the couch when there's a lot of people there already. Maybe they're making space to play when someone's already using a toy and they share. Maybe they're making space for you at the dinner table. And two, I want you to practice making space. Help somebody play. Help somebody sit on the couch. Help somebody at the dinner table. Does that make sense? All right. Should we say a prayer? Let us pray. Gracious God, in the midst of our lives, you make space. You make space for good things to grow, for new things to happen, for you to be in our lives. Help us to be ones that make space too. Help us to make space for new and familiar folks, for people in our hearts and people around us. And help us all to be people that make space for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here. You can go back to your seats. In the name of Jesus, amen. Every once in a while, I confess, I run up against a text that I don't really like. And this is one of them. I don't really like the word hate. And so in my zeal to get around the word hate, 
I dusted off that Greek English lexicon, the one that tells me what all the Greek words mean that Jesus would have originally used. I opened it up and I turned to what the word is in the Greek New Testament. And I saw that it was, the root was Maseo. And then I looked and it said, hate. It really does mean hate. And I said, okay, well, maybe they understood the word hate differently at that time. So I went through all the different instances of using hate in the New Testament. It really means hate. And then I thought, well, maybe this one's just special and different. <laughs> and so I looked around it. Still means hate. And then I, I did what I called through a theological fit in my office, right? I thought of the child Kristen and I are anticipating. And I said, not going to hate that. And then I thought of all the families that I have just loved watching grow and love each other over the course of my time here. I think, can't hate that. And then I thought of my own family of origin. Can't hate that. And then I just sat there for a while and for a couple of days saying, no, I don't want to hate. And then I realized that there were brothers inside the disciples. James and John, our brother. I'm pretty sure Peter and Andrew or Peter and somebody else, brothers. There's brothers walking around. So they don't hate each other. <laughs> They're still walking together. And then I realized that Jesus invites the people that are closest to him into the upper room on the night in which he was betrayed and says to love one another. That doesn't sound like hate. And then I realized that Jesus drew people to himself again and again, and even on the cross says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That doesn't sound like hate. And I almost, I almost pinned this one. And then I remember Jesus saying in Matthew 12, who is my mother and my brothers? Turning to his disciples saying, here's my mother and my brothers. Now that's not hate either, but it's not where I wanted the conversation to land. Jesus here is clearly talking about the cost of discipleship. And in fact, in our text today, they go so far as to overtly say, if anyone wants to be my disciples, they have to give up all of their possessions, right? Just in case you thought we were just talking about hating people. No, this is about giving things up. But I don't want to. Being a part of these relationships has, what's give, has been what's given me the energy, the effort, the love, the understanding to go and make space in my life for others. And so when we get to the cost of discipleship here, I don't believe Jesus is actually trying to say hate. Because Jesus has used hyperbole before. Jesus has used exaggerated phrases before. It would be easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, 
There's not an actual camel going through a needle in that phrase. It's hyperbole. It's to say it's really, 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 really hard. Don't count on it. If you're counting on your wealth, don't count on it. And at the same time, even in using hyperbole, Jesus is still telling us cost is high here, folks. And if you think there's a part of you that won't be asked for in following Jesus, think again. I'm sure you've probably heard this story before, but there is a story of uh, soldiers that Charlemagne was baptizing in a river a long time ago. And these soldiers all went down to the river to be baptized because they were kind of forced to be baptized. It was that period of time. And because they were soldiers, they all went into the water, but they did one different thing. They went straight into the river. They, they went up to their knees. They went up to the waist. They went up to their shoulders. They went above their heads, but they held their hand with a sword above the water. And they did this because they were soldiers. And while everything else could belong to God, they wanted to make sure that they still had the ability to kill someone if they needed to. In other words, I'll give everything to God, but this. I'll do anything God asks, but this. Now, I'm not looking to hold a sword above the water. I am looking to hold a few other things. Every once in a while, I find myself just saying everything. God, I'll give everything but this. But this understanding of what I want life to be like, how I want life to exist, this thing that I have in my head where family is going to be this way, love's going to be this way, life is going to be this way, everything but this. And here in the gospel, God in Christ Jesus graciously but also bluntly says, No. I'm asking for everything you are. I am demanding everything you are. In the kingdom of God, you don't get to hold your sword above the water and say everything but this. In the kingdom of God, you are baptized, you are loved, you are called with everything you are. Your whole life belongs to God. Your family belongs to God. Your job belongs to God. Your downtime belongs to God. Your every waking moment and your every sleeping one too, to God. I don't say this because I love saying it. I say it because it's true. And I think, like Jesus, we ought to know the cost of what we're getting into, what we're already in, what we have been called to be. Now, it took me a while this week to come to a point where I wasn't just sitting and grieving, grieving this loss of what I thought my life was going to be. And to a certain extent, I do that regularly. 
but I wanted to have some image, some thought of something good. Because I need hope. If, if I don't get to have my life the way I want it to be, I want to have hope that something's worthwhile here. If I don't get to have things that I want just so, I want something worthwhile to come out of it. And so imagine the plow. There's lots of different plows in this world, and there's lots of different things. But one parable that exists in every single gospel is the parable of the sower throwing seed onto different types of soil, path, rocky soil, thorns and sun, and good soil. And there's a plow in all of it. When you look at a field, there are, when you look at a field that's not actively growing, there are remnants of what was once good there. Every farmer, and even if you're not a farmer, knows this. There's a certain amount of joy and exhilaration and dumbfounded thanksgiving that happens every time a seed grows up from the soil and is able to actually do something good. It grows and it doesn't just bring back one seed again, but it brings back 30, 50, 100 fold. And then that field is gone and we have the stubble and the chaff remaining. And if we just stood there in solemn ceremony, giving thanks for what that field once was forever and ever, we would never see something grow. But when the plow comes and turns it over, literally buries it into the ground, that stubble and that field has a chance to become, has a chance to grow again, has a chance for something beautiful again. And so when God is telling us that all we have and all we are belongs to God, we cannot also forget the table that God invites us to that announces love for everyone. The ability to work beside our brothers still. The calling that we have to be in this world for the joy of growing something good. Yes, the calling is tough. And yes, the calling will always mess with the way that you thought the world should be. But never, ever forget that the calling is good. That the calling brings good things. The calling brings love. The love that you know in your family, the love that you know in your friends, the love that you know in your life. The font of these things, that is God. And so this week, and in your lifetimes, you'll probably see moments that feel like they're getting messed up. Moments where really good fields are being turned over and really beautiful things are put into the ground again. I know it hurts. I know it's tough. I'm not going to stand here and say like, oh, laugh and have fun and be joyful in those moments. It hurts, folks. 
But I will say that the kingdom of God grows good things. In the midst of pain, the kingdom of God can grow. In the midst of hurt, the kingdom of God can grow. And even when things don't turn out the way we thought they should, the kingdom of God can grow and grow beautifully, abundantly, magnificently. So this week, wherever you are, whether it's in grief or in hope, whether it's in hardship or in joy, know, trust, and believe that the kingdom of God grows good things. Thanks be to God. Amen.